very, very first uh, 20s and 30s meetings that we held uh, at the manse when I moved down for, for Scotland, I was tasked with uh, giving my testimony. Uh, that was the theme of the evening. I was tasked with saying something about uh, my conversion to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, as I look back on that evening, what strikes me is that that was an incredibly beneficial evening for myself. You, you see what I mean by that? I, uh, uh, in preparation for giving my testimony, I really had to give some thought to my testimony. Like, I had to give some thought to, wait a minute, what is it that God has uh, done uh, in my life here? Like, what, what is it that he was, what, spiritually speaking, where did he take me from? What was it that he really did in my life and my, and I tell you, uh, looking back at it, it was a, it was a joyous thing to do. It was an incredibly spiritually beneficial thing to do. I ask you, do we do that enough? Do we meditate, as Christians, do we meditate on enough what it is that the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us? Do we meditate upon what God has done in your life. Well, this evening, in this portion of scripture, I think it's fair to say that the Apostle Paul here does what I was doing in that room in the manse. You see what I mean? Here in these verses from 12 to 17, what's Paul doing? He's given his testimony. That's what he's doing. He's given his testimony. And tonight, as we look at these verses. What I think we'll see is not just what it it was that God did for Paul. Do you know what I think we'll see tonight, if you're a Christian, what it is that God has done for you. And then, and you hear me on this, what I also think we'll see, if you're not a Christian, is what it is that God can do for you this very hour. What God can do for you this evening. If you will only tonight put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. So, friends, let's pray, let's ask God for help, and then let's turn back to 1 Timothy. Okay, let's pray. Lord, we we thank you for uh, even the blessings that we've had already tonight in the fact that we've been able to sing of, of your greatness and your character. And you are a great God. And we are weak, and we pray, Lord, just now, that you might build us up in your word. We pray that uh, we would be able to uh, fix on Scripture, and also to fix on your voice, that we might hear what it is that you have to say to us uh, this evening. Lord, we are slow to hear, and so we pray that you would give us ears to hear uh, tonight. Lord, we ask specifically this evening that you might save someone in here, that you might bring someone into your salvation. Make new a soul, we ask. And we do pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, friends, would you please, if you haven't done so, turn back to First Timothy and uh, have First Timothy 1 from 12 to 17 as, as your focus there. <coughs> Excuse me. The first thing that, that we need to consider here is something of the nature of salvation. 
Like Paul says about the nature of, you could say the nature of the gospel. We'll, we'll, we'll say the nature of salvation. That's the first idea. <coughs> Excuse me. What did I say in the introduction there? I said that this is Paul's testimony. Paul's writing his testimony. Here's a valid question I think to ask. Why? Like, what, 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 what is this? This is a letter. Who's he writing to? He's writing to Timothy. You see what I mean? Do you see it? Like, Timothy's his friend. Timothy knows Paul inside out. Timothy, probably more than anyone else, knows Paul's testimony. Knows it like the back of his hand. So why, why would, why would Paul write in this letter about the way he's come to faith? Well, think about the context. Just do that. What have we seen? We've seen that there was false teachers kicking about in Timothy's church. So, what I think we learn here is that those false teachers, those guys weren't just teaching incorrectly about the Christian life. Do you remember that from last week? I think on top of that, those false teachers were, they were teaching almost like law-based or, you know, maybe a morality-based, a works-based idea of salvation. So, what does Paul do when he hears that? Oh, he, he, he writes to Timothy, yes, but he writes very, very personally about the true essence, the true nature of the gospel. He's setting things right. So what does he say? Well, <coughs> uh, hopefully you'd agree with me just now that what kind of bounces off the page in that section of scripture, what's really kind of surprising, I suppose, is the way that Paul talks about himself, isn't it? Like the way that Paul talks about his own wretchedness. Isn't that what sort of strikes you in this section of scripture? Look what he says about himself. Apostle Paul, chief of sinners. Like, I'm an awful, I was an awful, awful human being. And he's really emphasizing that. What's that? Is that Paul doing what so many guys do when they're asked to give their testimony? Is that what he's doing? We've said this before, you know, so get to the front, you've got to give your testimony, and you really, so we've all heard this, you know, guys are really overly bad they were, you know, sort of exaggerating all the things I did before I came to faith. Oh, I was off. Is that what Paul's doing here? No, of course it's not what Paul's doing here. And here's the difference. The stuff he says about himself here is absolutely accurate. Look at verse 13. What does he say about himself? He says that he was a blasphemer. And guess what? What do we know from Acts? He was a blasphemer. What else does he say? Look at it. What else does he say? A persecutor? Guess what? What did Christ accuse him of on the Damascus Road? You're persecuting me! You're persecuting the church! It's true! What else does he say? He says he's a violent man. What do we know from Acts? What was Paul doing? Going house to house, knocking on the doors, dragging out all the Christians. All of this is true. So do you see his point? Do you see it? Paul said to Timothy... And then on to the false teachers. How can salvation, how can it be about a sort of nice Christian type attitude and lifestyle if I, 
Paul, I'm saved. Me, you know, the complete and utter antithesis of the sort of nice Christian good guy. How can it be about that if I am saved? Paul sweeps away this idea of salvation being about, you know, morality and, 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 and niceness. So we see what it's not about, but what does Paul say about how he was saved? Well, we know, don't we, um, that if we're reading something, an article maybe, but I think especially if we're reading scripture, if a writer repeats a word, we know what he's doing. Let's say a writer in scripture repeats a phrase. You see, effectively, he's dipping in his pocket, he's getting his highlighter out, and he's, he's illuminating for us. He's dragging us into his repeated phrase. Did you see what it was here? Just skim, see if you see it. Twice, Paul says the same thing. He says, I was wicked. Oh, I was wicked, but I was shown mercy. I think there's something here that could very easily trip us up. And I was tempted to ignore it. But let's deal with it. Look at verse 13. Paul says, I was shown mercy. And and, and we say, why, Paul? Because I acted in ignorance. Now, would you follow through the thought. Do you see why there's a problem there? Do you see it? Because he's saying, uh, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance. You and I could look at that and sort of think, well, maybe Paul was entitled to salvation. You know? Maybe he qualified for salvation because he simply didn't understand what he was doing. Do you see? You know, he didn't quite understand sin. And he didn't quite understand Jesus. So, you know, I was shown mercy because I was acting in ignorance. And I'm saying to you, you know, do you not, that that is not what Paul's saying here. I mean, follow the flow of his thought here. He is surely saying, okay, when I sinned, I did not fully appreciate the gravity of that. And I didn't understand the majesty of the Lord Jesus Christ. But it was still sin. It was sin. I was still the worst of sinners. But yet, despite that, what does God do for me? Paul says, he's shown me mercy. Despite my ignorance, despite my wretchedness, God has rested over me and he's pitied me. Look what he says in verse 14. Like, what does the mercy lead to? Do you see it? God showed me mercy and it leads to grace. To saving. Grace being poured out on me. Friends, do you see his point? He's saying to these false teachers, he's saying to anyone who would listen, I wasn't saved because of an attempt at godliness. Like, I wasn't saved because of my charitable attitude to other people. I was saved by God. I was saved by this immediate, unmerited, 
waterfall of blessing being poured out into my dead, lifeless soul. I wasn't saved by myself. I wasn't saved by my attitude. I was saved by grace. Isn't it wonderful? Here's the thing. You see this glorious testimony of of God at work in this man's life. You listen to me if you're a Christian. That testimony is your testimony. The exact same thing that happened to Paul. God's done it in your life. He's done it. Do you see that? You in your sin were a blasphemer. The worst of sinners. And what has God done? He has looked at you and he's rested over you in mercy. He has pitied you. And then he has poured out on you abundant grace. This has happened to you. So what does it lead to? Come on. What do we do in light of that? What do we do? Well, what does, what does Paul do here? Do you see what he does? He reflects over his salvation. How does he end? In verse 17, look at it. He ends with praise. He bursts in song. There's this glorious God-honoring doxology. And this is what I want to say to you tonight, friends. That there should be, must be, your whole life. Do you not see it? In light of the mercy, in light of the grace that you've been shown, our whole lives should be one great almighty doxology of praise. Should they not? Shouldn't we? I mean, shouldn't we be living for Jesus in absolutely everything that we are and everything we do? Like Paul here, friends, even this evening, we should be praising Jesus in our heart, even now. We should wonder at these things. But we should thank Jesus just now for the essence, for the for the nature of the gospel, for the way that he has saved us. Secondly, let's consider the love of salvation. We've seen the nature of salvation. Secondly, the love of salvation. <coughs> Do you remember what it was like uh, when President Obama was running for office in the United States. Do you remember that? Some of you, Mary Cordelia in particular, probably not old enough to remember this. But you remember what it was like when Obama was running for office. You remember the slogan that he and his administration and his party were going for. What was it? Yes, we can. We were in a different country and still everywhere you went at that point, it was the same thing. All you heard was, yes, we can commonly used phrase. In the pastoral epistles, you know what I mean by the pastoral epistles? First Timothy, Second Timothy, Titus. The pastoral epistles. In the pastoral epistles, what Paul does is he cites five expressions, five phrases that were, they seem to have been really commonly used phrases in the very early church, these five phrases, the big phrases from a scriptural point of view. And actually tonight, 
you and I reach the first of those expressions in the portion of Scripture here. So it's kind of a big moment in the New Testament here. We're getting to one of these phrases. So what is it? Would you look in verse 15? You'll see it. Paul commends this expression to us, doesn't he? doesn't just give it. He says, here's a trustworthy saying. It's got Paul's stamp of approval. And he says it deserves full acceptance. But what is it? Friends, what's the expression? Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Pause, think about it, please. Slow down over the expression. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. What's that? What does it teach us? Um, many people before me have said that what you have there is a glorious summary of the gospel of God. What a summary. And I guess it's true, isn't it? Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. It's the good news, isn't it? Now, it's that. But also what I think you've got in that expression is a great corrective to some false views about God. But I think in particular, it's corrective to some false views that we have about Jesus. And I wonder if you see what I mean by that, do you? Like, what's the expression? Christ Jesus came into the world. Now, think about the, the flow of it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Do you see what that means? It means that events didn't overtake the Lord Jesus in his earthly ministry. It, it wasn't the case that Jesus was kind of teaching around in Galilee and healing some people. And suddenly things got a bit out of control. And you know, he was kind of caught up in this whirlwind of events. And before Jesus knew what was going on, there's people calling for his head. And the soldiers come out to arrest him. And he's taken away and he's executed. What's that, was it? Christ Jesus came into the world. To save sinners. Nor should we think that Jesus Christ had a moment of glorious clarity at some point of his earthly ministry. And, and I'm not just arguing in space here. People believe this. You know, that, that maybe Jesus was in Jerusalem. He comes out of Jerusalem late on in his earthly ministry. He goes to the Mount of Olives. He's going to pray. He sits down and he prays and he meditates. And all of a sudden, he, Eureka! I know what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to try and save these people by laying down my life. It's not that. What's the expression? Christ Jesus came into the world. To save sinners. Do you understand what you're learning there? The death of the Lord Christ. It wasn't unforeseen. It was intentional. Do you see it? Christ came fully aware of the consequences of his earthly ministry. In fact, more than that, what we see there is that there was always a soteriological purpose to the incarnation, wasn't there? Like, Jesus knew what lay ahead, yet 
He comes. Why does he come if he knows what, what's ahead of him? Because he came to save. And he came to save sinners. Now, let, let's unpack that just for a moment. And at the risk of being accused later on of, of quoting uh, the doors, I want to ask you a question. And it's a sincere question. Who is it you love? And I, I'm not being silly, and I'm not being soppy, and I'm not being cheesy. But would you actually consider with me, who is it that you love? As you consider your, your family, you consider your, your friends, even just now. You know, as you consider these people, who is it that your heart skips and misses a beat for? I think for many of us, if we're in that situation, it's our children. We hopefully love our children. Um, for others, our mind goes to our parents. And we, you know, we're filled with that incredible love for our, for our parents. For others, it's maybe our boyfriend or our girlfriend. Or our fiancé. Or our spouse. Now, art and literature for generations has tried to encapsulate what those feelings and intense feelings are like and failed. But the thought of something happening to those people, you know, it is true, isn't it, that that it it does leave us uh, breathless And here's what I want you to see. In the Lord Jesus Christ, God loves you with a greater intensity of love than that. In Christ, God loves you this evening with a greater intensity of love than that. Now, have you lost sight of that as a Christian? You know, when you pray, when you consider God, where does your heart go? Is it his holiness and his perfection? Is it, is it perhaps his, his omnipotence and his power? This, the great God who, who has designed the, the galaxies and the solar systems. Do you go there? But do you fail to realize that even tonight, and this is a thought, isn't it? That God is looking at you. And if you're a Christian this evening, that God gazes at you in the Lord Jesus Christ and he looks at you with love. Do you see that? Have you lost sight of that? Do you not then see it in our expression? Because what is it? Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Do you see the love in that? Like knowing the cost of this. Like knowing what it's going to mean for himself. Knowing the end, the sacrifice in view. So ferociously does he love you. What happens? Christ Jesus comes into the world to save sinners. Do you see the the, the awesome truth here? The Lord God loves you. 
He loves you in a way that is unimaginably great, so great that not only did he design this plan, but in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, he enacted this plan. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, but such is his love. Christ Jesus came into the world to save you. He came to save you. So we see the, the, uh, the nature of salvation, the love of, this, uh, love of salvation. Thirdly, the strengthening of salvation. We have uh, talked about this before in the life of the church. But one of the, the, the problems that uh, the 21st century modern church, um, especially perhaps in the United Kingdom, one of the great problems that we face is our lack of confidence, isn't it? Um, we see ourselves, we look at ourselves as Christians, and we see ourselves as being ill-equipped for the Christian life. Do you think like that? Do you join me in thinking like that? You know, we consider... Uh, our witness, or maybe even that, that, that word evangelism, and we think, well, I'm ill-equipped to do that. Or we think about the service and the life of the church and trying to work and serve people in a Christian community and with our baggage and everything that's going on, we think, I'm ill-equipped for this. I am ill-equipped for Christian service. Well, in these verses here, what Paul does show us then that should eradicate and wipe out that false notion. We are not ill-equipped. So what does he say? Well, I said earlier on that Paul ends this portion of Scripture by bursting into song, and he's giving Jesus praise at the end. I wonder, did you notice, he also begins this section in exactly the same sort of way. Like, if you look at verse 12 you'll see that Paul starts by praising God. He actually starts by thanking God for a couple of things in verse 12. Do you notice what they are? So he thanks Christ that God considered Paul faithful. That's the first thing. What's the other thing? Do you see it? He's thanking God that he has called him service of his name. (laughs) I perhaps don't need to say this, but I will anyway. That obviously does not mean that God looked at the unregenerate Paul and said, oh, he's faithful, I'll call him into service. Right, doesn't mean that, obviously. No, God looked at Paul and saw that in the Holy Spirit he would be faithful to his calling. And God calls him into the service of his name. Now, Look at this, though. Look at verse 12. Like, on top of this theme of thankfulness, let me say this. Paul makes a remarkable statement about the work of Christ. He really does. Look at, he says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord. What's the next bit? Who has given me strength. And, and, and maybe you sort of look at me tonight and you say, well, that's not remarkable. <laughs> the fact that Christ Jesus would strengthen Paul. But I tell you, it is when you understand the tense. 
See, it's a, the verb is an aorist tense. And what does that mean? It means there Paul is looking back to one particular moment of his life where Christ Jesus strengthened him. So do you see what he's doing? Paul there, writing to Timothy, he's looking back to the Damascus Road. And he's saying, there on the Damascus Road, not only was I saved, but there on the Damascus Road, I was also, by Christ, furnished with absolutely everything that I would need to be an apostle. Not just saved, but strengthened, okay? Now, here's the important part. The word that Paul uses for Christian service is not specific to him. And that's unusual. See, normally you would maybe expect Paul to say, oh, uh, you know, thank you, Jesus, for strengthening me. Thank you for giving me everything I need to be this unique calling as an apostle. And Paul doesn't use that term. Paul uses a much wider term. A term for very, very general Christian service. Do you see what he's doing? Who's he writing to? He's writing to Timothy. Think about ourselves in here. He's writing to a guy who's timid. And he's writing to a guy who is in this miserable church situation. And he's writing to a guy in the face of these false teachers who's maybe very much doubting his own ability as a Christian. And what does Paul remind him? What does he say to him? He says, Timothy, you're the same as me, man. You weren't just saved. You were given everything you need in your salvation for this fight for the gospel. Timothy, have courage, man. You've not just been saved. You've been strengthened by the Lord Jesus Christ. Now imagine Timothy unfolding the scrolls that's been delivered. You know, and he's, he's timid and he's panicking and he's thinking, I'm ill-equipped for this task. And then he sees it. And he sees what Paul's doing. And he says, yes. Don't you think Timothy would be encouraged? He wasn't just saved. He's been strengthened in his conversion. Now, friends, do you see it for us? Do you see how that should embolden you as a Christian? Because what did we say earlier on? This testimony is your testimony. This testimony is your testimony. And this is true of you. Like any lack of confidence we have as Christians, and any sort of doubt that we have the the necessary gifts or talents or abilities to, to carry out Christian service or to witness for Jesus, to see all of those doubts are entirely misplaced. Why? Because that super abundant grace was poured out on you in your conversion. It was sufficient to save your soul. But it was also sufficient to strengthen you as a Christian. Like if Obama was in here, he'd be banging this podium saying, yes we can. And you know what? In the Holy Spirit, that's true. In the Holy Spirit, we can. Like in the Holy Spirit, you and I can serve the Lord Jesus Christ in the life of this church. We can do that. We can bring honor if we are humble and, and, and obedient. We can bring honor and glory to Christ in here, out there, in a witness with your friends. It seems so difficult, so hard. 
But you have been strengthened by the Holy Spirit of God. Isn't it lovely? God not only saves his people, he loves his people dearly. And he also strengthens us for the work ahead. And I'm going to conclude with this last thought. Let's see the example of salvation here. Like I've I've said, I think it's three times tonight, that Paul's testimony in verses 12 to 17, this testimony is our testimony for Christians. And that's true. In the text, Paul points out a way in which his testimony was very much unique and very much special. So what's that? Well, if you look at verse 16, there's a, there's a real, there's a truth here. In saving Paul, what we see God doing, if you look at verse 16, he's setting Paul up as an example to the world. That's what Paul says. Paul says, in saving me, God was relaying a message to anyone who would hear. What's the message in saving Paul? Well, earlier on we said and noted that Paul thought himself as wretched, didn't we? Don't you agree with me that that's not sufficient? Paul didn't just see himself as being wretched, did he? Like you read this, and what does he say? He was the worst of sinners. He's not just him saying, I was bad. And he's not just saying, I'm a sinner. He's saying, I was the worst of sinners. I was the chief number one sinner. And I, I tell you this, he believed that. You know, so convicted was he of his sin in the Holy Spirit. He believed himself because of who he was, what he was capable of, what he had done. He believed that he was the worst sinner that had ever walked this earth. Do you see then the message God is sending to the world? Do you see it? God is saying here, if I can save this guy, if I can save Paul, this blaspheming, violent, horrific man, if I can save him, I can save you. If I can save him, I can save anyone. And this is where we'll go with that. Friend, I'll end with this, but I want you to think about it. And I say it a lot, but I, I beg you to think about it tonight. Friend, are you safe in the arms of the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you someone who can say, I am born again? Can you say that? Can you say, I am, it is true, I am united to the Lord Jesus Christ in a saving and personal way? Friend, if you cannot say that tonight, would you just for a moment consider what it is that God has said to you in Scripture tonight? What have you seen? You've seen that salvation is not about your morality. And being saved isn't about your charitable outlook. It's not. 
And do you know what? Your salvation is not about your involvement and dedication to the life of a church. It's about none of those things. What is that about? What's God said? It's about receipt. It's about you receiving mercy. About you receiving grace from Almighty God. And what else have we seen? Wait. We've seen there is nothing going on in your life. There is nothing that has gone on in your life that in any way renders you outside, above, below, beyond the scope of God's saving power. Isn't that the truth? He says to you tonight, you can be saved. He has the power to save you. And so, what would you wait for? What would you wait for? And I, I urge you to come to Jesus. And I, I'm not saying to give it thought for the next six months. I mean, this hour now. I mean, consider what can be yours in Christ Jesus. Like, don't let the moment pass. Seize the opportunity right now to, to, to plead with God, even as I speak, to beg God to rest over you in mercy. And to gaze at you in the Lord Jesus Christ in love. And to actually beg God to pour out that blessing, that grace upon your head. Because if you do this, and if you do it just now, you're ready for the truth. This is the kicker. You receive this very hour. Pardon from all of your sins. Forgiveness for all, for all that wickedness, for all that iniquity. And then you will join us, the people of God, who desperately want to live our lives as a doxology. Praising Jesus for his love for us. Praising Jesus for his life. Praising him for the cross. But praising him for that breathtaking expression praising God that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners what are you waiting for what could you possibly wait for friend would you come to Jesus this evening even now would you pray and would you ask God for a working of grace let's pray